Hello everyone and welcome to the Burrito Kind of Guy podcast, episode number 12. This week, my guest is Annika Pyle. Annika used to play in a band called Chomped. She also, she's currently in a band called Katie Ellen, and she also has a solo project. We talk about creativity, we talk about songwriting, about how her songwriting evolved through her different projects, and we talk a lot about her um, solo album Wild River. If you don't know about her yet, please uh, give give um, her music a listen before you listen to this podcast. And um, yeah, there's no sponsor this week. So if you have any things that you need to promote for free, it's free. Sponsoring this podcast, sponsoring the Burrito Kind of Guy podcast is free. So it's not a real sponsor, but you get, you get like, I don't know, 100 people will hear me saying this. So maybe out of the, the 100 people, there might be, I don't know, 5 or 10 people that will check out your, your shit so it's cool right so uh yeah no sponsor so might as well plug my own thing right my band lost love is releasing a new album it's called empathy and it kicks ass and i'm i'm, I'm not only saying this because um i'm it's my band but i'm saying this because it's the most uh um kick-ass thing that i've done uh, ever it's the best lost love album it's the best thing i've done so please check it out uh go on bandcamp lostlove.bandcamp.com and pre-order the record um there's still a few golden record left uh that you can pre-order uh it's a very limited edition record uh and it's golden so you'll have a golden record at your home you, you don't even need to play it you can just uh, put it on the wall so everybody knows that you have a golden record. Anyway, have fun. I hope you enjoyed this conversation. It was a very fun conversation I had with Annika. So, uh, yeah, see you next week. Have you ever, like, had pizza at McDonald's? No. I've never even heard of pizza at McDonald's. <laughs> really? Huh. Yeah. Maybe it's a Canadian thing. Oh, maybe. Maybe you're right. Maybe it was. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Because it's not... I have never. I've never seen it in the states but i know that mcdonald's you know around the world do like different things yeah. depending on what country they're in so i guess canadian pizza <laughs> yeah, maybe. at uh mcdonald's <laughs> making a comeback baby <laughs> Ooh, yeah all right um yeah how good is your french oh it used to be good and now it's not <laughs> J'ai oublié tout. <laughs> oh, okay. That's good enough for me. That's cool. Okay. Nice. <laughs> yeah, uh, I was at a point, I was like dreaming in French. Oh, um, wow. But there's not much opportunity to use it in America. Yeah. So it kind of just went away. Yeah. Did you go to France or like, did you spend some time in France apart from just while touring there, I guess? No, I actually um, spent some time in West Africa and oh, okay. was able to practice French um, with like some native Togolese people who spoke French. The The accent is obviously very different, but <laughs> um, so that's like probably, I once navigated myself from like the, just crossing over the border, border into Togo in a taxi to find a restaurant completely in French, which was quite an adventure because the we were meeting friends we didn't have cell phones it was like 
I don't know, 2010. Wow. So not everybody had a, you know, you had like, you could switch your chip if you were moving countries, but you didn't have an international phone plan. Mm-hmm. And so that was pretty crazy. I think he took us to a brothel at first. And then I was what? like, this is not where we're going. <laughs> I was like, we need to go to this place. Oh, wow. um, but we've, we miraculously made it. So that was fun. Nice. Cool. Uh, and let's begin with the beginning. Where were you born and, and what year were you born? I was born in a little town called Monument, Colorado, and I was born in 1989, just before the 90s. So still an 80s baby. Ooh, and and um, did you grow up there in uh, Monument? You said. Yeah, I did. I did. Um, well, I was actually born in Denver, but we moved like three months after I was born um, to the house that I lived in until I left um, my childhood home, which was in Monument. Um, my printer's going off. <laughs> um, how, how big is Monument? Is it like a very small town? Like- um, when I moved there, it was a very small town, but it's on um, this stretch of land in Colorado that is one of the most developed like corridors um, in the Western United States. So it grew very rapidly. And now I would consider it like a suburb of Colorado Springs, sort of, um, which is the nearest big town. But it was like, you know, there was like, um, yeah, I'm trying to, I don't know what the population was, but it wasn't like there was only one stoplight, you know, there was like a couple stoplights and there was, you know, some restaurants. but it was, it was quite small. And I grew up just outside of like the city, um, you know, or the little town itself on like, you know, a few hundred acres of land on a land preserve where they actually ranched cattle. So we lived in a little farmhouse with a barn and cows and coyotes and antelope and stuff. Yeah. Wow. Um, Nice. So, so was it a nice childhood? A nice, uh, it was a beautiful place to grow up. I was really lucky. I just went back there a couple of weeks ago um, and the house has since been torn down. It's just like in a big pile um, in the middle of a field, but it was like, oh, wow, this is, I was so lucky. You know, I just had free reign of this huge property and so many flowers, so many different weird plants, you know, a little babbling brook, a reservoir, a view of the mountains. It was a really... Um, you know, big, giant, like ancient hundred, hundred something year old tree um, where he had a tree house. It was a really beautiful um, environment to be a kid. Cool. And when did you start playing music? Oh my gosh. Um, I've been writing music, writing little songs since I was about six years old. Um, I just have always loved to sing. And so I think- Yeah. So I think I was like just writing, you know, stupid, silly songs and um, poems and stuff since I was a kid. And then at around like 12, I started to like really write songs, but I didn't play an instrument and I was gifted a an acoustic guitar. So I started playing guitar about when I was 12, but I was in choir and was definitely using my voice as an instrument before that. Um but yeah, started playing guitar, and then I got an electric guitar when I was, I think, thirteen. Um, yeah, and that's like, you know, I wasn't in a band until I moved to New York, 
Um, okay, you did not have a, uh, any band in Colorado? No, I had, I would play alone. And then I did have some friends who I would like jam with and I I auditioned for a band. Um, uh, but I would just play, you know, like I would play talent shows and benefit shows and friends, you know, garage or, you know, we had barn shows cause we were like country kids. So yeah. we'd play in the <laughs> barn, you know, instead of the basement. Um, and yeah, I would just play by myself. So. Cool. Yeah. And were you in, in some kind of, were you going to punk shows or in, in some kind of alternative punk scene in, in monument or in Colorado spring, I guess. Back yeah. when you were like a teenager or yeah, I I had a um you know, I feel like we all all have that like first punk CD story or whatnot. Um what is yours? And, <laughs> well, my mom had a boyfriend when I was young, like eight, eight-ish, eight, nine years old. And he was a punk and he gave me Green Day Dookie. And oh. that was my first punk CD, which is a great introduction to oh yeah you know because it i loved pop music so it was like oh this is so sing-alongable and um mm -hmm. very accessible and i really loved it and he also gave me a, a a jean jacket with a corrosion of conformity back patch on it so i was like a really cool wow. <laughs> uh, eight-year-old um and so yeah that kind of like you know also i feel like pop punk was like so big when i was a kid so i was like oh i love blink 182 i love mm -hmm. green day i love you know i guess weezer's not really the same genre yeah. quite but um yeah weezer and then i was like oh then i started getting into fat wreck bands and i loved tsunami bomb and i was like really into saves the day and i you know and i did you think like, like back then did you think that like oh maybe you could do this you could like start a band and start playing uh, punk music i guess i i did like i really wanted to be i wanted to be on stage i was i honestly i was like oh i i could totally be in a band um but i think it's the time I had a lot of self-doubt and it was definitely like all the there was one group of um girls who had a band at school they were called NIMBY um and uh I was like oh that's so cool I wish I could be in NIMBY um but everybody else in my life playing music was a dude and I had auditioned for this band that was all dudes and they were like uh nah and I was like oh I can't be in a band, you know, I kind of let my own self-doubt get to me. And I was like, you know, I don't fucking need to be in a band. I can like be the jewel of punk rock or whatever. And yeah. then, um, yeah, but at the time I, it wasn't really on my radar. I was actually focused very much on acting at that time. Um, that was really what I wanted to do. So oh, really? I spent more of my time doing that than, than did thinking you, about being in a punk band. But did you go to school in, uh, like, did you go to theater school or something like that? Uh, I did. I had, that was an in, the intention of mine when I went to school. Um, but I wanted to, I didn't want to major in theater. I wanted to like, I wanted to study theater and something else. And that didn't really seem like an option for me. So when I got to New York to go to school, um, which is why I moved to New York, I kind of gave up on the idea of being, of paying to to act um the whole thing seemed like so impossible to me that i was like you know what i'll just i'll study some sort of humanitarian thing instead because it's yeah. 
more important. So, oh, yeah. well, and, and then well, I just started a punk band. So, <laughs> you know, who knows? I don't know. Uh, and how old were you when you moved to um, New York City? I was 17. Okay, so in 2006? 2007, yeah. 2007, all right. And uh, it was for school at first, mm -hmm. you, you said? Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. And, but your was your first band Chumped or did you have something else before? Yeah, my first band was Chumped. It was, it was called Apartment 10 at first. Oh, um, really? Because, yeah, me and me and drew um who were the two founding members of the band started started in an apartment that was apartment 10 so we just started playing songs and um and yeah so that was the very first iteration of chumped but yeah chumped was my first band so pretty good first band to be in i'd say yeah <laughs> pretty good pretty, about pretty decent pretty cool yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I, i've seen somewhere that most of the members or the, like the founding members were also from colorado is that true Yeah, me, um, Drew, and who played guitar, and Dan, who played drums, all grew up in Monument together, and then oh, ended God. up um, living together in New York. Um, when I did a, a research about this, it sounded like you moved from Colorado to New York City to start a band, and I was like, oh, that's badass. <laughs> yeah, I know. I mean, I wouldn't recommend anyone move to New York City to start a band. <laughs> It's like a, not a great place to be a band, honestly, in a lot of ways, but... <laughs> But yeah, that's kind of the narrative. I think they got spun and sort of that's where the, you know, the folklore of the origin of Chumped is that we all moved to New York together to start a band, but it was actually, we all moved to New York to do other things and ended up starting a band there. So. Um, nice. And yeah. um, I want to mention this now because uh, you mentioned like that when you were a kid, you were already interested in poetry, right? Mm -hmm. And I... I don't know. I don't know. I feel like when I was at school, poetry was this kind of thing where the teacher would come and say like, all right, next, next class, we're going to talk about poetry. And then we, we were reading poems and it was like the majority of the students when I was like a kid and even more when we were teenagers, it was like a boring part of the class. Mm. Um, and I, and I kind of want to have your input on this because right, like my job right now, I'm a, I'm a teacher. And I mm -hmm. teach English as a second language um, for students here in Quebec that have French as a first language. And there's a class that I teach, not this semester, but like sometimes where I do teach poetry, but very like a very brief moment. And I try to make it as interesting as possible for them. And mm -hmm. I kind of want to know what made you so interested in poetry early on and how did you grow with it? What, what's interesting about poetry in your own point of view? Hmm. I, I think the most interesting thing about poetry to me at the time was how I loved songs so much. And to me, poems were just like songs on a page, um, mm -hmm. you know, songs without music. And I loved to, you know, I read a lot of Shel Silverstein when I was a kid, um, who, you know, mostly writes in rhyme. And that was really exciting to me, like how you could tell so much of a story in so little time. Um, and it would be kind of like lyrical and fun and funny. It was like, you know, his poetry was very funny and humorous and like youthful. And, um, and I think, yeah, I think it's this sort of the allure of this 
saying a lot in a little, um, or, you know, looking at things that seem mundane from another angle. Um, and yeah, I'm not sure exactly. It's, I guess I've never stopped to think about what, what really drew me to poetry, but I really, I do think that it's like, I'm just, I love words. I love the way that, you know, we can put them together and say something that really speaks to so many people. And, um, yeah, I think when I started to write poetry though, I think poetry for so, so many people, we like start, we teach like these weird classic poems, Mm -hmm. you know, like sonnets and stuff that like seems very far away from our current moment. And people are like, I don't want to read a fucking sonnet. What are you talking about? This, what is Shakespeare even saying? What is this guy fucking saying? This guy's a twat, you know, like, (laughs) I don't care. Um, (laughs) and yeah, I do feel like starting with those things is sort of inaccessible for young people. And I, I think there was this moment I'm remembering the first time I wrote a limerick, um, which is a, it's a, a poet, poetic form that's often funny. Um, and it, it, it kind of sounds like this. It goes, like that's sort of the rhythmic um, nice. thing. And I love, I feel like that was a moment where I was like, it's a, a moment that sticks out in my mind where I'm like, oh, I love this because I'm being given constraint. You know, I have to be creative within this constraint. That's like, I can only use this many syllables. It needs to land, you know, a certain way. And so then you can like build a rhythm into um, this form and it doesn't have to be like, oh, Romeo and Juliet. Yeah, yeah. Like, but it's kind of funny and you can make a joke. Um, mm-hmm. well, and yeah. yeah and, and I feel like I, I see it. Well, I, I feel it myself and I see it with the students that like it's when it, when we talk about something that's too old it's it's hard to connect and when it's something recent like i think it's at the beginning of this year um i think it's this year right i'm, I'm kind of messed up with the years now the biden's um inaugural poet um poem uh, by mm, amanda, amanda gorman yeah mm-hmm. um when i heard it at first it, like i i was like it was there was so much emotion in that and I and I felt like oh okay no I need to show this to my students mm-hmm. and I show them the, the poem and we talked about it and it was one of the most interesting moments I've had with students about poetry and to mm. them it was almost like it's not boring it's what's happening right now in our world and it's so uh like we also compare like I, I remember one student was like wait do they have like poems every every time a president get gets like an inauguration and I was like oh, that's a good question I, I don't think Trump had one yeah. <laughs> I, might, I, might, I might be wrong but I don't think I don't think that was there I don't think he cares yeah. but uh yeah do, do you know if there was a poet poem for I don't Trump? I don't think so <laughs> I mean I felt like that was such a profound moment because I'd never seen that before I we have a poet laureate we have a youth poet laureate which um you know and I think every state in America also has one but that was the first time I remember seeing a poem delivered um at an at an inauguration and I thought that it was really I feel like it really was it it will be a historical pivotal moment for poetry because I don't think that the state of the nation (laughs) um 
could have been quite encapsulated in any other way. I feel like it really opened a lot of people's minds to the possibility of poetry and what, you know, it's not just this sort of old inaccessible thing. It's actually emotion driven or it can be emotion driven, can be almost mm -hmm. performative um, and can paint a picture, you know? And I think the one that something that was so interesting about um, that moment was it makes you realize how much of our world we understand through metaphor, which is one of the most important, you know, poetic uh, tools is metaphor. Um, and the brain literally like it understands its surroundings by comparing them to something that it's encountered before. And that's exactly what poetry does. You know, it's mm -hmm. like the, the, the oceanic voice, you know, or yeah. the, the, or that's not even a, that's not necessary. That's kind of a metaphor, but <laughs> not a great <laughs> execution. Um, but you know what I mean? It's yeah, like, that's very we, interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like it would be, it would be a fun exercise to actually go back through Amanda Gorman's um, poem and, and kind of pick out these metaphors for our, of, you know, our past and our present and our future. And very, very cool. interesting. Uh, to go back to Chumped, Chumped broke up in 2015, 2016. Uh, what's, what's the reason why uh, Chumped just stopped? Because after this, you started Kat, Katie Ellen or Katie Ellen? How do you pronounce Katie it? Ellen. Katie, Katie Ellen. Katie Ellen, yeah. Okay. Well, Chumped had like one rule and that was it needs to be fun. You know, we were just, hmm. it was like, this is That's for fun. Rule. We, we practiced twice a week because it was fun. You know, we started playing shows because it was fun. We started playing more shows because it was fun. We said yes to like basically every show we got asked to play. And that was how we, you know, it was like, we didn't, I feel like it's so funny because it's like the opposite of like moving to New York to start a band. It's like, we moved to do all this other stuff. And then the band became kind of the escape from the crushing sort of reality of trying to adult in some ways. Um, and yeah, it was like, we had gotten a lot of momentum. We were definitely like a, a very, you know, hype band that was privileged to have a community around us that we built, but also were able to connect with, you know, like a small record label who wanted to put our record out and, um, and, you know, have like a publicist and be able to get some like nice press and um having a publicist that's that sounds like a nice thing to have yeah i mean sure and <laughs> uh we have, i mean she's what is a fantastic publicist and i was a very good friend um but yeah it's definitely like uh to me i it was unimaginable you know at the time because it was like oh we're just having fun here and you know, we got asked to do a bunch of tours like right away. We all quit our full-time jobs. Like, oh yeah, so you, when mo you were, most of us did. Okay, and when yeah. you were so when you weren't chumped, it was like you were that was your life. You were doing that, or did you have well, some? No, it was like we were all doing a lot of other things, mm -hmm, and then we mm -hmm. were like, yeah, let's go on tour. And in order to go on tour for a month, we our jobs are not going to let us leave and come back so we're going to leave them and then we're going to figure it out so it was like yeah. you know we did our everybody's like very first month-long tour and then we came home everybody was broke everybody was unemployed everybody was struggling and then yep. we turned right back around and did a nine-week tour which was like three weeks in europe six weeks in the states and then we had already confirmed two other tours later in the summer and it was like it was just 
we were a young band. We didn't have a booking agent. We didn't know that that's a lot to do, yeah. <laughs> especially when, <laughs> when you like have no savings, you have no yeah, financial yeah. safety net. Um, and it was, it became unfun. You know, it was oh, like, okay. it was kind of like this. There was like is... maybe too much pressure on like, like having think, to. Yeah. Too much pressure, not necessarily knowing what our, um, you know, what was a reasonable amount for us to be doing and still like maintaining our personal relationships and, um, and it just was a lot really quickly and it became pretty apparent that like some of our, you know, that it threatened our, I don't know, like the sanctity of our friendship and the pact that we yeah, made, yeah. which was like, this should be fun, you know? And so did, did you make this same um, rule with your the next band you had? Um, no, actually, <laughs> not at all. Um, so interesting, different experience. Yeah, it was like, there was some times where I was like, music doesn't have to be fun. It needs to be like, it's a catharsis. It's yeah. like working through your identity. You know, it was a totally different approach the next time around, which, you know, I think I'm finally landing somewhere in the middle where it should you should always be connecting to your joy, but um, it's okay to like encounter hard moments and take yourself a little more seriously and um, and not everything is always going to be fun, but it, it will be, it needs to be meaningful, you know? Yeah, uh -huh. um, I feel you on this. Uh, and it's the name of your grandmother, is it? Mm. I've read this somewhere and I was like, oh, that's cool. Yeah, my great grandmother actually. Your great grandmother, okay. Yeah, and it was her. Um, it's not her real name. Her real name was Irva Tunstall, but her, she was a radio personality in Denver at a station called KTLN, and so she adopted this alias, Katie Ellen, mm. um, and that was her stage name. And yeah, so she was on the radio, and she would do a lot of her performances like in rhyme. She had some. You know, I wouldn't call it spoken word, but um, uh, kind of was definitely a creative writer in many ways. And yeah, she went to take, she was offered a television show, went to take her alias to television and the radio station sued her for copyright infringement and Crazy. she lost. Um, so what, when year, I was, what year was that? That was like... 19 i have no idea fit the 50s or 50s? 60s maybe yeah i guess wow. it was must have been er earlier if it was just the advent of television so yeah and it's like a case that you know they still use it as a precedent case for um the use of acronyms for copyright and i wow. didn't know i didn't know any of that because all i heard was like yeah my grandma was this or my great grandma was this radio personality and we had pictures of her with like famous people at the time on the wall and stuff and I inherited a lot of her like fancy clothes that she would wear and um but I never heard this side of the story until I was like googling her just for whatever and ended up coming on a JSTOR article in like an academic you know warehouse of of legal and academic papers and was like so moved by the story. And I was in this time, you know, starting KDL and I was like kind of starting over myself and was really giving a lot of thought to, um, you know, sort of feminist ideas and um, trying to, you know, claim sort of a more 
um, powerful feminine space. And so I, in a, in a way to sort of like honor her legacy, um, I adopted that name for the band. Um, nice. Yeah. Cool. And is it still, uh, is it still a band? Cause I have, yeah. Been... Yeah. Okay. Okay. Cool. But, yeah. And, yeah. 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 And I saw that you started releasing solo material on Bandcamp uh, three years ago now. What mm-hmm. what made you want to go uh, solo and do uh, solo stuff? Well, I had it as a goal for a long time to make a solo record because I wanted to challenge myself to, um, you know, arrange and write different kinds of material that didn't really you know sometimes I'll write and I'll be like oh this sounds like a Katie Allen song or sometimes mm-hmm. I'll write and I'm like I'm not you know I would had been writing these songs sort of simultaneously and was like this is definitely a Trump song this doesn't know I don't know where this belongs this is like a quiet solo song um and yeah I wanted to make a solo record but Katie Allen was a lot more active and um and we were touring and getting some opportunities and putting stuff out. So that became my focus. But when the pandemic, um, uh, I guess kind of actually pre-pandemic, I had been writing songs by myself, wasn't sure, you know, it was, became challenging to practice. Um, I was like, I think it's time to make a solo record. And then um, I actually finished the solo record right before, I, we recorded in February of 2020. So then oh, okay. by March, you know, I was sitting on these songs and was like, oh, I'm not quite sure what to do with this right now. But, mm-hmm. um, but I, yeah, yeah. I, I, I feel you. I, I personally recorded my first solo full length album in December 2019. And I released it in March, on March 3rd, 2020. <laughs> oh my gosh. And I was right in, um, eastern canada tour right in the middle of a snowstorm when like when i heard the news like yeah everything's gonna close for two weeks and then we're gonna get back to normal so i was like okay cool two weeks two weeks i was like oh shit that's a long two weeks yeah (laughs) very (laughs) long two weeks because i'm i'm very curious to see how you write songs now but let's start with like when you were with Chumped, mm-hmm. what, do you remember how, what was your writing process? Yeah. So Chumped is actually interesting because I would write, it, it was much more of a, almost like um, four, uh, four-way split. So everyone in Chumped was a guitarist. And um, so there were some songs where I would write the whole song and then bring it to the band and we would you know, arrange it together. And then there were some songs where anyone else in the band would bring a guitar part and, you know, then we would kind of get in a room and everybody would play it. Um, and basically everyone would play except for me. And then I would just build the melody and the lyrics in the practice room. And then, and then whoever wrote the part would you know, I would learn it from them and then I would play guitar and sing at the same time. Um, or, you know, sometimes I would go over to like Doug who played bass, I would go over to his house and he'd be like, I'm working on this riff. And then we would kind of write the song together. Um, 
So that was really fun. I loved that process because I love to sing. I firstly love to sing. Um, playing guitar is fun, but I, I, I think my voice is my main instrument. Um, and mostly I'm a writer. So it's really fun to just like write parts over other yeah. people's, other people's stuff. Um, yeah. yeah. And um, Katie Ellen, how, how is it different when you write songs for that project? Katie Ellen was very much like, I wrote intentionally to make this record, to make our first record. Um, and all of the songs were finished by the time I had brought them to the band, but we were able to kind of come together and arrange parts of the songs to make them, um, just to serve the song more appropriately. Um, and yeah, so it was much more of a, like first time role sort of like driving the creative um, direction of the project. Um, so kind of different. Um, and and yeah. what do you, what do you do when you, in your songwriting process, do you like usually have lyrics, like you write some lyrics like on the side and then you put it on music. Do you write the music first? What goes first and is there an order or? Um, oh, it's so different. I, I feel like it's really evolved too. Um, but when I was writing the Katie Allen stuff, a lot of it was like, I would be like, this is what I'm trying to say. This is what I want to say in this song. And then I would sit down with a guitar and just sort of like fumble through chords until I found something that was pleasing to the ear or felt emotionally resonant with whatever I was trying to, um, write a song about and then I would kind of just let the lyrics sort of come out and okay. see what happens um but so, there so were when also you say, when you, so when you say like you first start with an idea like of what you want to say in the song it's not you're not talking about lyrics right you're talking about like this song I want to talk about like this subject and this emotion and I want I want this to be reflected in the music and in the lyrics is yes. that, is that it? Yeah. Okay. sort of starting with like a concept um cool. but then there's also i feel like more recently and as katie allen was kind of like evolving itself as a project i started to basically pull from my i keep a journal um and pretty much write every day and a lot of that ends up turning and some of it's just like you know thought vomit or whatever um or like emotional processing and then some of it is sort of turns into like poetry or there's a bunch of poetry in there so I started sort of like um almost as a way to like doc publicly document what I was processing privately I would pull stuff from my journals or straight from poems that I had written Ooh. take certain lines and then build a song around that um yeah Is it, do you do your journal in the morning, the, like the morning when you wake up or is it at any moment of the day? Um, I try to do it when I wake up because it's nice to sort of like center yourself. Yeah. But I find that, I found that throughout the pandemic, I haven't been able to like keep the morning routine. Mm -hmm. So I try and find like some, anytime during the day where I can just sit with myself and my thoughts and sort of get it out on oh. paper. Um, okay. A few weeks ago, I talked with uh, Jenny from Bad Cup, Bad Cup, mm -hmm. and she said that she's doing uh, 
she's doing this thing where like the morning pages, I think. The morning pages. What, yeah, yeah. 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 I'm, I'm, it's from the artist way, which I'm also doing right now. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. That's a cool. book that, that's a book that's on my list of books that I want to read soon. Uh, have you read the artist way? Uh, I'm actually like doing, I'm reading it right now. I'm on chapter three. Um, okay, cool. But cool. yeah, right. her, the, one of the biggest things is doing your morning pages or you, you sit yeah. and kind of write stream of consciousness, uh -huh. which yeah. I was and like, I, oh, this will be easy for me because I've already been doing this for like 20 years. <laughs> so great. But <laughs> I, I found I, actually it's hard when you like, you know, try and make a commitment to write yeah, yeah. a certain amount of pages. I'm like, oh shit, this is an interesting, different yeah. kind of process. So I did it for a whole month. Like I think, uh, well, recently I started to, to teach again, like the, the semester started this week, last week, whatever. And uh, so I did it for a whole month. Every morning I would wake up, I write three pages. I haven't read back what I wrote, but I want to do that mm. eventually. But it's, it's, it's an experience. It's like, especially with like handwriting, I have not written anything with my hand in such a long time. So I was, yeah. at first it was weird to just get used to like having a pen in my hand but uh yeah i'm i think i'm, I'm gonna do i'm gonna keep on doing that well not probably not every morning but I, I like i everybody should try to do that it's it's a weird thing where like you're just like but i don't have anything to say it's like i just woke up so and at, sometimes it was just like i was talking about the dreams that i had or like yeah. what i want what i want to do with my day what i want to do with my life or or anything anything that comes to your mind and you always have something that comes to your mind yeah. Your mind is processing constantly. You should have your students do like a little, um, maybe like English, uh, like not morning pages, but maybe like a little journal yeah, exercise I do an, where they have to yeah. write their thoughts down in English or something. Yeah, I did in the past. I did something with, uh, which, which I called free writing where I told them like, mm -hmm. you just write, you write, and then you don't stop for like five minutes and you write whatever comes to your mind. And the main problem with students where when they learn a second language is that they're worried about making too many mistakes and they're mm. like oh am i gonna and i but i always tell them like when it's this kind of exercise you don't need to focus on on mistakes you just need like you you write anything that comes to your mind so it's yeah mm -hmm. cool and, yeah <laughs> um and and your solo album how did you write? But I feel like I have questions about specific songs. But in general, uh, I have this feeling that it's uh, it's a very emotionally charged album. Mm -hmm. Like the songs are very beautiful. There, there's a lot of poetry in there. And uh, today, like I listened to that album a lot without looking at the lyrics too much. Mm -hmm. And uh, today I looked at the lyrics at the same time and I was like, oh shit, all right. That, like I, I felt like it's uh it was even more powerful with the lyrics that i could read at the same time and and i'm wondering in general how did you write these songs because i feel like you it was almost text that you had before and then you wrote a music over that is that how you did it or yeah yeah that's definitely mostly um many of the songs were just poems that then i set to music um, or they were derived from, um, poetry that then, you know, became, um, became a song. And so the impetus for 
Um, this record was, I was asked to do a show at the library here in Philadelphia. Um, a friend of mine who works there was doing some series of performances that were exploring the relationship between poetry and song. Um, and so they asked me to play and I said, oh, this is perfect. This is like an excellent opportunity to like do something interesting. Um, so I was sort of like thinking about what I wanted to do and working with some material. And um, as I was preparing for this show, my dad passed away. Mm. And so that became kind of, it turned into sort of an opportunity to both, um, you know, I wasn't sure if I was going to play the show because it was just a few weeks after my dad passed, but I decided to keep um, keep it on the books and then kind of use it as an opportunity to sort of do some grief processing um, yeah. because that's kind of where I process is through song mm -hmm. and writing. And so then a lot of the content became sort of centered around the experience of losing my dad. Um, Mm -hmm. which, so which is something uh like it, it, from what i've read it looks like wild river is like a tribute to your father were, were you close to him or i was i was close to him um especially in the last few years that he was alive he struggled with he, my parents were divorced very early and my dad struggled to find stable housing he um yeah, struggled with alcohol and addiction issues most of my life. And about four years before he passed away, he became sober for the first time. And so I really cherish, um, you know, the very end of his life because it was the first time where I felt really like I could be close to my dad mm -hmm. and we could kind of have a relationship, even though it was mostly long distance because he lived in Colorado and I lived in Philadelphia. But um, you know, we would talk on the phone a lot and it was like the first time where I felt like I could ask him for advice. I could actually talk about my feelings. He was, mm -hmm. you know, emotionally present really for, um, in a significant way for the first time. So, yeah. Cool. Um, it's and like when I read the lyrics, I, I felt like it's like, it's, it was sad to read all of that, but at the same time, I was like, it made me think of my own parents and I'm thinking, oh, like I should call my dad like mm. <laughs> I, I was like oh shit and it made me also think about like I'm lucky enough to still have both of my parents right now and I know they're not going to be there forever and it made me think oh this is like a this this look well this album looked like a good uh way and I might be wrong like you will tell me like a good way to kind of cope with the the loss of, of your father like to write these songs and to probably release them was probably good for you mm -hmm. yeah, yeah yeah I think essential to the process of thinking about all the things that I was thinking about um it became a way to sort of like channel that catharsis and it was really important mm -hmm. yeah this uh the Mexican restaurant where I last saw my father uh mm -hmm. when I when I was like looking at the lyrics at the same time and I was listening to it I was like oh oh shit, I can like, I can kind of feel how you m must have felt like asking yourself all these questions. And um, I'm, I'm wondering like this Mexican restaurant, how old were you when, 
when you were with with your father at that Mexican restaurant? Was it like a few years ago or was it when you were much younger? No, yeah, that was, um, let's see. Um, he passed away in October of 2019. So that would have been December of 2018 is when okay, we okay. were So it's like a recent together. memory. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And how did you record this? Because it's not um, it's not a song. This one, it's um, it's a spoken word. Is that how you would say this? Yep. Like yep. Spoken word. Yeah. How, how did you record it? So I recorded all of the spoken word parts from home with a microphone that has um, it's just a telephone with an XLR input in it. So it's just like an old you know rotary phone that oh really has become a microphone. Yeah. Yeah. Oh wow. Yeah. Cool. That's why so it sounds. Kind of, uh, yeah, it's, it sounds kind of like close and like yeah. I wanted to sort of we we recorded all the spoken word in the studio and I just didn't like how it sounded. Um, it just was like too polished and it yeah, felt yeah. very far away. And I wanted to create sort of a more intimate feeling. So I had the idea to kind of to use the phone because then it sort of created the experience where I was like telling. A a friend, you know, talking mm-hmm. to a friend, um, or talking to my dad, or, you know, if you're into yeah. that talking to God or whatever, um, kind of having, it felt like a more intimate, like spiritual experience. Also like when's the last time you held an old phone, you know, yeah. it's like, it's so <laughs> different from like, you know, your cell phone, like oh, yeah. it, it really feels, you know, I, I, I feel sad for the Gen Zers and the like, who probably will never hold that phone ever, but it did, <laughs> it really brought kind of this sort of nostalgic like um yeah feeling to it so yeah wait how much a phone like that uh, how much does a phone like that cost i don't know because i actually was i had a, an old coworker give it to me who was like i have this phone that's a microphone do you want it i like don't ever mm. use it and i was like yeah i would wow. love it um oh know, that's amazing so, yeah cool. cool and did you do all of this in one take because like it was so emotionally charged that I thought, oh, I I would have cried. Like, I would have mm. cried myself, like, saying all of this. And I wonder, like, if you stopped at any time to redo it or how, how did you do it? Um, th- I think most of it was, I think that at that point I could, I could hold space for the sorrow and the joy of the moment. Like the, awesome. you know, um, yeah. And, and a lot of the, most of the guitar songs on the record too are, they were recorded live. So the, you know, a lot of time for people listening who have never made a record before, you will track instruments and vocals separately because you get a better sound and delivery often, and there's no bleed between one microphone and the other. So the sound is sort of cleaner and you can edit it um, in post-production, but these songs, most of the guitar songs, if not all of them actually were recorded in a live take. So I was playing and singing at the same time, which gives um, the record a different feeling too, sort of like a- Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I just really wanted to convey like a deep intimacy um, with this record, so. It worked very well. Um, Thank you. First, first song, Wild River, there's like two parts in the song. Like there's like failure mm-hmm. one, I think, and, and Wild River. Why did you, um, why not make like two separate tracks instead of like one? Was there a reason for that? I, 
I mean, I guess the short answer is it was sort of like an organic thing because when I had put the, so the set that I put together at the library um, is pretty much the record. It was um, with very few changes. That was the set that I had played and I loved the way that it felt. And I felt like it really encapsulated what I was experiencing. So I kept, I kept it and then I recorded it to capture it. Um, And when I was, you know, putting the set together, I was playing those two pieces together and then they just became married in my mind. Um, And I feel like it kind of sets the tone where, um, you know, because there's both poetry and song on the record and I feel like it kind of gives you an idea of, like sets up some themes, um, but then also kind of sets up a feeling for the listener mm. too. Yeah, it's very, like the first track, I feel like it's very dark at first, very, uh, I don't know if that's the right word. It's like mm-hmm. gloomy. It's like there's, there's, a, there's a darkness at the beginning and when like, that's not exactly when Wild river starts like when but like when there's like there seems to be like a light that comes out at some point in the mm-hmm. song and i'm when i first listened to that record i was like i was very i was not very sure at the beginning because i was like oh maybe that's like too dark for me like i don't maybe and when i heard the when it glows up i was like oh okay great and then then i was <laughs> for the whole album i was like oh cool uh in in this song you you mentioned that you uh like to clean um the kitchens uh the parties do you, do you yeah. like is that a real thing because i have this thing where like if i'm inviting friends over and it's getting late i'm gonna start like gathering like empty cans of beers starting to do the dishes while still talking to them and be like yeah no i don't want to kick you out i'm just like i have this feeling that i need to clean but yeah you, so so you do that as well yeah yeah. But, and it's like, that line is, it's kind of funny, but it, it really was like, um, that song is kind of about fear. You know, it's about like how sometimes instead of being the life of the party, I would rather be the helper at the party and find a role for myself to, yeah. you know, sort of clean the kitchen instead of dance on the table. Um, and I don't know if that, you know, sometimes I beat myself up about that and I'm like, oh, I'm not a, um, I'm not a shining star, you know, I'm just like a little anemone at the bottom of the sea or whatever. Um, <laughs> but it's more like, you know, it's a little bit about like, um, kind of coming to terms with sort of your own fears about taking risks in your life. And also, mm-hmm. um, you know, I think paying homage to some of my anxiety and introversion despite being a person who spends a lot of their time in front of or used to spend a lot of their time <laughs> in front of people <laughs> yeah um yeah you also mentioned in this song that you wake up at six o'clock in the morning is that something you do right now you still wake up <laughs> early not anymore because <laughs> uh, i was um, gonna ask you what's the trick like i i kind of yeah. want to be a morning person but i i can't like i've been trying to wake up as early as possible and it's like sleep is so much it's so fun in the morning you're like "Mm." yeah I I used to like that used to be my life but I worked you know I worked so early I worked in coffee and and in industries where I would have to get up you know sometimes at like four o'clock in the morning or five o'clock in the morning to be to work and um and that is kind of like 
it's, you know, now instead of doing that, I just beat myself up for not getting up at six o'clock in the morning, you know, uh, um, and like not being able to, I really do feel like this past year has sort of, or however many years we've been doing this, um, has yeah. really exploded, like shined a light on a lot of the things about myself that make me feel productive and healthy. Like, even if they can be complicated because mm-hmm. I would rigidly stick to them. So like getting up at getting up before six o'clock in the morning is like something that I had to do for work, but it became habit and it helped me feel like I was living a healthy life. But that meant that I wouldn't stay out late and like party with people, or I wouldn't be going to the shows that I wanted to be going to. And, you know, I would be kind of like, oh, I gotta go to bed, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and wondering <laughs> if that was like an excuse I was making for myself um, so that I didn't have to participate fully in my life. Oh, um, okay, yeah. And, you know, now I'm just like, well, <laughs> I, my alarm goes off at 8am every day, which is huge for me. I've like never had that late of a wake up time. Um, and I usually sleep past it at this point. Oh, wow. I'm proud of you. Thank you very much. (laughs) Um, it's giving me a lot of anxiety, but I'm working on it. So yeah, that's cool. Uh, you, um, in the, in the same song, you, you say you wanted to be a wild river, but you're still a country 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 creek sorry um do you still want to be a wild river or have you given up on that oh i think um a very deep question (laughs) yeah i do think i i i want to be um i don't think it's a both uh it's an either or situation you know i think i you. you can be i think yeah, you can be both and uh-huh. like, um, and I feel like I kind of live sometimes in this very black and white world where I'm like, well, if I'm not a wild river, then I'm just a boring country Creek, you know, which is kind of, um, mm-hmm. but actually if you look at uh, the real ecology of a river, um, <laughs> rivers, uh, are sometimes very still. And then sometimes mm-hmm. they're, they're very wild and, some of those things you know are out of your out of the river's control like the weather pattern and climate change um and you kind of have to be willing to to do both and it's okay if you're not like a um wild uh guy all the time and you're not a a Mm -hmm. still guy all the time you can find joy in each experience so that's where i'm trying to be right now oh yeah, finding the, the right balance. Mm-hmm. Cool. What is the second track on the album? What is this uh, song about? It's called it's called Emerald City. Mm-hmm. What? Where is that? Um, that is Seattle. Oh, okay. Um, and the song is about the the experience of because of the loss and trauma that you have learned to cope with um you're never really where you are you are always somewhere else so when you're a person you know who's experiencing ptsd or who's you know um uh suffers from generalized anxiety disorder or Mm -hmm. you know a depressive mood disorder 
it's really hard to be present in your body and in nature or what you're experiencing. You're always kind of like worried about what's happening in the future or you're obsessed and ruminating over the mistakes you've made in the past. Um, and, um, you know, why doesn't everything line up the way it's supposed to be? Um, and so the, that song is about, you know, stumbling upon this really beautiful, incredible lake, um, in Coeur d'Alene, Idaho on the way to Seattle. And, mm. um, I spent a lot of time in lakes and rivers with my dad fishing when I was a kid and being near bodies of water and being outside and being in nature. I kind of described where I grew up to you. Um, and, somehow I'd gotten like so far away from the feeling of like just being present with the earth. Um, and especially like something you're experiencing in grief, it's like, you're all over the place. Um, whether you're losing a parent or a friend or a relationship or, you know, a job or a whole life plan, as many of us have in the past year, it's really hard to just like sit and be like, the world is really beautiful. And my life here is a gift, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, and so that song is kind of about trying to move into that space of like life is full of small miracles and it's worth living and it's not, you know, this too shall pass kind of a thing. And yeah, there's a, even though, like I said, like it's a very sad and dark album, there are some parts where you can see there, there's hope and there's uh, like in Monarch Butterflies, for example, I think it's like a very positive song where like, we're like, oh, like there's something at the end of all of this, there's like, there's going to be something positive. There's going to be positive outcome, even though there was some suffering along the way. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And that's kind of the whole, I think the takeaway I, I hope for the record is that life is suffering. <laughs> like yep. it is unavoidable. It is a tenant of the human experience. People die people we love die, everybody will die. <laughs> like, everybody. you know, everybody. <laughs> and that's that, you know, and things will change. And that's really the only common denominator in our lived experience. But that doesn't mean that, you know, but we have a choice of what we do with that loss and grief. Um, mm -hmm. And the oh, really, you know, we don't always, we can't choose our circumstances. We can't choose whether, when, or how people pass away. Um, but we, you know, with the help of working through some of, you know, and some of us are more privileged than others when it comes to our, you know, access to healthcare or, you know, some of us are neurodivergent. Um, anyway, the point is, yeah. is that um, there is suffering in life, but there is deep beauty and so much joy and we can learn to choose joy and we can learn to trust in our own gladness and we can choose to see failures as lessons we can choose to see mistakes as teachers we can learn to um love despite loss i think is really the the takeaway yeah. life is That's... a funny haha it is not a bitch it is just yeah a fucking tragic comedy <laughs> waiting to happen. <laughs> yeah. A tragic comedy. I like it. Yeah. A very interesting way of, of uh, seeing life. I now we're at the part where we're gonna talk about creativity. 
what is creativity to you? Like if you had to describe someone what creativity is, if they've never heard about it, how would you describe it? Like an alien, let's say there's an alien coming and you're like, what is that? <laughs> mm, creativity is, what a great question. Creativity is a tool for survival um, that consists of uh, connecting the unconnected and creating something out of nothing. Wow. I've had, I've had a lot of good descriptions so far, but this is one of my favorite ones. I Thank like you. it. I like that it's, uh, you started with a tool for survival. Because mm -hmm. often when I ask the question, I feel like, and I must have mentioned this like too many times on this podcast, but I, I often, <laughs> often people, when they think of creativity, they, they think of art, they think of music, they think of like, uh, like you know, the, the whole like cultural artistic thing. But like when mm -hmm. I think of creativity, I see like I see creativity in, in everyone and I think everyone has a creative potential, but like it's definitely how as a human species we evolve is with creativity. Yeah. So to say that it's a survival tool, I think it's uh it's accurate and it's uh it's very interesting. Do you, do you believe everyone has a creative potential? Oh, so yeah, everyone is a creative everyone is, you know, is a creative person. I think that some of us that you know, even like the most, the a person you would like, you know, just like a total math engineer guy, like that takes creativity. Everything we do takes creativity. And I think that the more that is nurtured as a skill and is valued as a tool by whoever is nurturing you, um, the, the better are you off in accessing it. But I, I do think that it's really sad on people, you know, think, that they're not creative people or they can't make, you know, I guess we'll say art, but they can't use creativity in their everyday lives. Um, or they think of themselves as uncreative because everybody is creative. They're all, you're all like, I think you need it to survive. So yeah. if you're, you know, mm -hmm. yeah. And um, I kind of hate to ask this question, but what's, what's your job right now? Do you do full-time uh, music or do you have something else? Uh, right now I'm actually looking for a job. Um, I don't do music full time. I'm blessed enough to make a little bit of an income from music, but it's not enough to survive. Um, and before the pandemic, I was working in the service industry. I actually had three jobs. Wow. Um, and now I'm working a little bit at a restaurant, but definitely looking for something like, it's funny because I've been thinking about creativity and what it means in the workplace because I'm mm -hmm. like, okay, I need, Um, I want predictable income. Um, I love working with people, but I don't want to, you know, I want to do something new. I, I'm going to challenge myself to not go back to um, the coffee shop or stay in the restaurant forever. Um, yeah. Not that I don't love that work. I do. Um, but I want something that, you know, like is using my skills, but it's challenging. But, but the main thing that I think about is like, I have to be doing something I have to work for someone or at a, in some kind of job that is creative. Like, yeah. Okay. And that doesn't mean that I need to sit there and like illustrate photos all day or whatever. Um, but I want to be able to like 
you know, exercise ideas or even like, I mean, even when you like create a new workflow for how spreadsheets get submitted, you're still mm-hmm. using your creativity. Like, yeah, yeah, definitely. and I think, yeah, I feel like it's my greatest skill and it's not always one that's valued in, um, the workplace because they're like, I think that a lot of people see like a creative person who's lived kind of a non-traditional creative life. And they're like, Ooh, like this person is like flaky and unreliable. And, mm-hmm. um, and that's just not true. You know, um, I think, yeah, we could all do every organization in the world would be better served if they fostered their employees creativity. Oh yeah, definitely. Do you, do you believe we all have like a, I don't know if, it, I don't know if it's the right term, but like a creativity, like threshold that if we, <laughs> Like, for example, if you had a job where you would need to work like a lot of hours of your day doing something very creative, then maybe you would come back home and not be able to write songs or do or write poems because you're there's a thing like a creativity threshold or something like that. Or do you think mm. that it's like... It's uh, a good question. I mean, I think that if I were you know, and this, like, if I were like, let's say my job was to be like a professional songwriter writing songs for other people. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it would be challenging to then come home and want to write songs for yeah. myself. Um, which is why I'm not trying to be a professional songwriter or, I mean, I am a professional songwriter, but <laughs> I'm not trying to like get a job where I'm just writing songs for others all day long. Um, yeah, yeah. I would do a little bit of that, but it's like, yeah, I do think that you know, switching your medium is important. Um, but mm-hmm. I heard, I, I was listening to a podcast um, from this person who has a high up position at Pixar um, and he has done movies. He did the movie um, Inside Out and he, he did um, Soul. He just did that movie Soul. That cool. was um, a big movie. And he was talking about how, yeah, it's like work is always work. Even if you're doing what you like f- absolutely love he's like yeah i get to go in and like make these amazing movies every day it's awesome but sometimes i don't want to fucking go to work just like everybody else (laughs) so it's like Mm -hmm. i think no matter what you do it's like you're gonna have to power through a little bit of the sludginess um and yeah i think Mm -hmm. i think that there's burnout for everything so yeah you might have creative burnout sometimes that's why you got to replenish in ways that you might not think are oh, you should read the artist way i can't wait for you to read it this is yeah, gonna yeah, like it's I will, gonna be it's gonna yeah it's yeah i keep uh, thinking about it it's cool yeah. uh like i asked this question because i think uh i think we have a friend in common i'm not sure not sure do you till lemoine in paris yeah, till, yeah. yeah. uh i think I, the first time i've heard about chump was actually when i was at his place and mm-hmm. i saw you know the back of his door is like full of pictures of bands mm-hmm. and i and i was reading like i was watching all all of these bands and I was like oh chumped what is that and it was like oh it's a new band from uh Brooklyn or whatever and I was like you should check them out and uh, he actually introduced me to like so many bands that I like now so thank you Till uh but yeah <laughs> uh, I, I don't know if you know what's what his like uh, philosophy on like music and work is but like he has this job that he um he work at and he could have with his man he could have like made money with music and made a, a job out of it but he decided not to do it because um, he was kind of thinking of like, that would kill the purpose of being in a punk band to 
have a job with it like and and mm, there, mm-hmm. there's something about it where I thought maybe if I was only playing music I would not find it <laughs> as fun to play music so I don't know yeah yeah I um, think it's a balance it's like a really delicate balance um my last question for you is uh how how can you make sure you stay creative how do you do you have any tips for people who are like uh in a creative pit and they're like oh shit I don't know what to do to yeah. help me Well, read the artist way. <laughs> I feel like so many people I know are reading it right now. Um, but something that I really stand by is like, you cannot make art. And this is what's been challenging about this year, this past year, I think is, you know, like depending on your situation, I definitely spent most of the year literally at home, not going anywhere. Um, and I think that to stay creative, you know, you kind of need to be experiencing the world and that doesn't need to cost money. It just needs to, you need to pay attention. So I think Mm -hmm. sharpening your, um, you know, you can call it attention paying skills or mindfulness skills really helps your creativity because you're paying attention and making connections in the world. And for me, that always means like getting out, you know, and looking at the way a tree grows and how do the roots come out of the earth? Like, what patterns does the bark make? Like, how do the birds make their nest in the tree? How do the leaves shake in the wind? Um, And really paying attention to some of these things and, you know, creating moments where you, creating like little moments of sort of like awe really um, and curiosity, I think helps, um, helps drive your creativity. So even if it's just like getting out for a walk, you know, a lot of, a lot of creative people are like, whenever I'm stuck, I go out for a walk and I just pay attention to what's happening around me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that that is, I really hold steadfastly to that, especially when it comes to nature, because we might not all have, you know, like there's one tree on my block, but, um, <laughs> but getting, you know, finding something that grows like from the earth, I think is a really, yeah connecting to that is an important creative practice so awesome thank you do you have any yeah. um any future projects uh things people should check out well they they should definitely check out your patreon and yes there's a wild river album too but is there anything coming uh out soon um so yeah i get the patreon is definitely where i'm most active right now i'm working on another record but that won't come out for a while um but i always point people to yeah my patreon and instagram i've been putting up some um yeah like some demos and stuff that i'm working on um and it's definitely the best way to figure out what's happening next i have some projects in the hole but nothing announce worthy currently so yeah cool. Yeah. Awesome. Cool. Well, thank you so much for participating um, in my podcast. Oh my gosh. Thanks for having me. This was such a good conversation. I, I love it. I can't wait for us to recap on when you get this book. <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> All right. Uh, thanks. And uh, see you soon. Yes. Thank you.